Father. I'm hungry. Now, Rolly, you've just had your dinner. But I am just the same. I'm so hungry I could eat a, a whole elephant. I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. I'm really excited for today's episode. Today we're going to talk more about hyperboles, the hyperbolic temperament, and how you can apply this knowledge that you now have of this hyperbolic self that you reside in to your recovery to help with plateaus and just with, you know, overall like emotion regulation. So, I realized very recently this week that one of the things that I did when I was in recovery was look up the definitions of words that I use so frequently and try to replace those hyperbolic phrases with words and phrases that were less emotionally intense. I've had a lot of people ask me, why does this matter? What does it matter what I say? Some folks even say to me, that speaking in hyperboles is a way for them to get their needs met because people can understand just how severe the behavior that they are engaging in or the feeling that they are having is when they use hyperboles. Using hyperboles is also, let's be real, a really great way to get attention, right? When you have BPD, you have grown up most likely with an invalidating social environment as a young child. Even if parents and loved ones and support persons out there listening don't see it that way, it doesn't matter because in your perception as the listener with the diagnosis, having BPD, you saw it that way and you felt that and that's real. So when you have an invalidating social environment and a hyperbolic temperament as a young child, You have a tendency to use hyperboles. It's a habit you've created to get that that need for attention met and for shock value and for emotional intensity or validation, rather, of that emotional intensity. But what I need to explain to you in this episode is that using hyperboles is detrimental to your recovery process because when you speak in words that are exaggerated and over the top, You tend to want that to be your actual reality. So let's take a step back a minute and look at the definition of hyperbole. So a hyperbole is described, and this is just a simple Google search, guys. I just Googled hyperbole definition. So hyperbole is something that uses distortion of language to make a point. Hyperbole is a figure of speech that makes something seem bigger or more important than it really is. Hyperbole uses exaggeration to express strong emotion, to emphasize a point, or to evoke humor. Okay, so 
a lot of these definitions that I saw when I Googled hyperbole are ones that would be given, you know, in a a lesson to children learning about different literary techniques, right? Like figurative language, hyperboles, etc. So a hyperbole is used in literature for shock value. That's important for you to really wrap your mind around that for a minute. So to answer that question briefly, why shouldn't we talk in hyperboles? This is why. Because a hyperbole by definition uses exaggeration to express strong emotions to emphasize a point. So maybe you're saying to yourself, okay, well, it's to express strong emotion and I have a strong emotion. Yes. However, when you're in recovery, exaggeration is the opposite of the truth. The truth is without exaggeration, the facts. So you need to learn to express that so that people around you can trust you and so you can trust yourself. Okay, so we've got that definition. Hyperbole uses distortion to make a point. So isn't one of the goals of recovery that we talked about or that I talked about on the podcast is to see a neurotypical perspective and to stop living in the hyperbolic perception? Excuse me. (laughs) So how can you do that if you talk in hyperboles? Okay, awesome. So I hope you understand where I'm going with that because language is powerful. Choose your words carefully. Remember in previous episodes, I talked about part of recovery being to create a pause between what happens in your environment, stimulus, and your response. So in that space is our ability to choose how we respond rather than react. Remember that? This is where you do that. Choose your words carefully. There's an old proverb that says how old fools talk too much and the words of the wise protect them. Interestingly enough, back in the day, they used to call overly talkative people babbling fools. I mean, I'm pretty overly talkative and I do notice when I talk too much, I start talking in circles, babbling fool. (laughs) The more you talk, The more words you use, the more descriptive words you use, the more hyperbolic words you use, the less people will listen to you, the less weight your story will have, and the less loyal to your word you become. So people don't trust you then. That's why this is important. Not only that, we begin to believe the things we think. Like, if I say that I'm being rejected, abandoned, shamed, attacked, brutalized because someone is engaging in a behavior towards me that I don't like, it is likely that I will begin to believe that I am being abandoned and shamed and attacked and brutalized, right? All right, let me give you some examples. Let's say your partner leaves town for the weekend. They go and hang out with their friends, but you knew about the trip. But when it comes right down to it, you really didn't want them to go. So midway through the trip, you get frustrated and sad and upset and you start saying things to get the person to come back to you or maybe just because you're mad or lonely. I don't know. But you say things like, you abandoned me. I feel abandoned. Maybe you even say, I was upset before you left and you left anyway, and now I'm abandoned and I feel rejected. 
Well, first of all, I have to say to you, and this is, you know, something I say in individual coaching sessions when I'm trying to point out that the flaws in logic or the exaggerations, I would say, well, the person was just going on a trip, right? And maybe if you feel abandoned and maybe you feel rejected, but you're telling the other person that you're abandoned and that they are abandoning you and that they are rejecting you, you put yourself and that person in a difficult spot. Because now you're taking your hyperbolic speech and the intense emotion that you're feeling to try to convince someone else that your reality is the right reality because you're trying to convince them that you're hurting them so very deeply by just engaging in a behavior like going away without you for a weekend. So let's look at the definition of these words. Okay, Webster defines rejection as refusal to accept, consider, or to cast off, to spew out, to throw back, to be repulsed by, to refuse as a lover. So a really good thing to do if you're talking in hyperboles is, again, to define the words that you're using in order to figure out why the person you are in relationship with is not able to validate your emotion. So think about the example I just gave of the person who's out on a long weekend with their friends if you feel like you've been abandoned or rejected. Because think about what rejected and abandoned means. Look it up. Did anyone actually spew you out in that scenario? Did anyone cast you off, dismiss you, refuse to come home to you? Now, I think it's safe to say that we are rejected when someone says, I don't want to be in a relationship with you anymore. But if the person doesn't do that, then you are using a hyperbolic word to describe their behavior that isn't actually happening. If someone doesn't want to talk to you, if they are upset with you, if they are disappointed in you, they are not rejecting you. If they need space or express those emotions to you. So if you use the word rejection, whether it be out loud or in your head, it gives more weight to the emotion and therefore stalls the recovery process. All right, another word I hear a lot is abandoned. It triggered me to feel abandoned. It triggered my abandonment issues. <laughs> You've said that before, right? You've heard that before. I mean, we've all gone through it. I, you know, me too. That's why I kind of laugh a little bit because I remember when my head was in that space. Well, okay, if you feel like someone is abandoning you, you really need to, again, what am I going to say? Look at the definition of abandonment. Did that person give up on you with the intent of never again claiming a right or interest in your relationship? Did they withdraw protection, support, and help on an ongoing basis? Or are they just angry at you? Did they just go to the movies with their friend? Did they just want to spend time with their family? Did they just want to go to the store? Did they just want space? Are they angry at you, disappointed in you? Maybe they just want to do something without you because that's normal for people to want independence and autonomy. If you use the word abandon incorrectly, repeatedly, throughout your lifetime, you are going to end up being abandoned or feeling like you've been abandoned. What about shamed? 
Do you ever feel like someone is shaming you? What does it mean to shame someone? Shame is a painful emotion, right? Caused by a consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety, humiliating. Shame is associated with the word disgracing. Those are the, you know, Merriam-Webster definition words of shame. Somebody humiliating you, disgracing you. That's the definition of shame. Did the person you are in relationship with humiliate you? Really? Disgrace you? Is your name destroyed because of the thing they did? All right. It's highly likely that the answer to those questions is no, Rose. No, not at all. Especially if you are still willing to be in a relationship with that person. I do understand that there are times when we are shamed, we are rejected, and we are abandoned. Like when you are in the the middle of a dissolution of a relationship or a breakup. However, most often we tell ourselves that we are abandoned, rejected, shamed when we are actually not. Remember, if you are feeling a certain way and the person you are in relationship with doesn't agree with you, Maybe it's because of the language you are using to express yourself, to try to come up with words that better express the situation. That's what you, that's what you want to do. You want to come up with words that better express the situation that aren't so hyperbolic. And then what you need to do is trust that the person that you were in relationship with will still believe you. And you know what? You need to trust that they'll believe you even more because you're not the boy who cried wolf anymore. Imagine that if every single time you got in an argument with your partner, you told them they were rejecting you or abandoning you, but they were still your partner. Well, what does that make you? Remember that story? You're the boy who cried wolf or the girl who cried wolf or the person who cried wolf, but you're crying wolf, you know? All right. So what about the word attacked? This is also something I hear a lot. I've been attacked. You're attacking me. Actually, I hear this a lot in my own practice with clients because the, you know, when we hear the truth for the first time, it often feels like an attack. So again, we want to look at what does it feel like to be attacked? Google, what does it mean to be attacked? Attack. Someone is set up. Someone is assailed with unfriendly or bitter words to threaten a person. Okay, so when your partner tells you that you should wake up and take a shower and get going about your day, even when you feel depressed because they love you and they're trying to help you and you tell them that you feel like they're attacking you, be careful with your words. Attack is when someone is trying to hurt you, threaten you repeatedly, calling you bitter names, being unfriendly to you over and over and over again. It's big. It's a big deal to say you're attacking me. Be careful with your words. I do this sometimes when I don't feel good or I used to. So I'll make a joke about it now because I know in the past I really did think like when I was sick, for example, that I was dying. Um, So that's something like when I didn't feel good, that was a big hyperbole for me because I liked getting taken care of. It was my, it was when I was able to get attention. So when I was sick, I would go, oh, I'm dying, right? Like I really wanted the person to believe that I was, 
dying that I was in a relationship with or like really sick, right? With, you know, whether it be my mother or my husband or whoever was like in vicinity. Sometimes now I'll joke and I'll go, I'm so tired. I don't feel good. I'm dying. And we laugh about it because I used to be really emotionally dysregulated anytime I had physical pain. Now I know that I, that's, I'm not dying and I just don't feel good and I should go lay down. I should communicate that I don't feel good and then I should go lay down. But anyway, that was because I would tell myself that I wasn't, I was going to get through it. That's part of it. I would start telling myself, like, you're okay. Yes, this feels bad, but you're not dying. And when I would say that, Jay would go, (laughs) of course, he would go, do you need me to take you to the hospital? You said you feel like you're dying. We are going to go to the hospital. He would, like, get his shoes and his coat. I mean, he knew that I was being hyperbolic, but he was trying to express what that meant. So there are consequences to the things that you say, the things that you do, right? But that drove it home for me because I was like, I am not going to the hospital. That is not happening. It takes forever to get out of that place. <laughs> not doing it. So be like, no, I'm not dying, you know? I wasn't dying. I was just sick. <clears throat> and it was enough to just be sick but the words that I used and the words that I told myself mattered what I didn't know when I was doing that is that I got taken care of more when I was honest and direct because I could get my needs met that way when I was saying I was dying the only logical consequence for that was for Jay to choose to take me to the hospital But when I said I was sick, I got to go lay down, take a break. He got some soup. He was able to take care of me in the way that I needed. So many people lately have asked me, how do I know whether or not I am the problem in my relationship? So this is really why I wanted to record this episode. So listen, if you're out there and you talk in hyperboles and you have a hard time taking emotion out of the things that you're saying about the person you're in a relationship with, you're really not going to be able to determine whether or not the fault lies with you or with them. So it's important for you to consider using language that is truth. Truth will set you free. I've said that over and over and over again, and I mean that. The truth will set you free no matter how painful or quote-unquote attacking it seems. It'll set you free. And I promise you that the person you are in a relationship with will respect you for telling it like it is. They will believe your word and they will begin to trust you again. Not only that, you will learn how to trust yourself, which is a huge step in the recovery process. Are you currently struggling to stay afloat? Are you looking for more one-on-one support and guidance on your recovery journey? Check out thriveonlinecounseling.com. We offer mindset coaching that will propel your recovery journey forward. We help frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Have phone, video, or text sessions wherever you are. The best part? You can schedule right from our website. Choose the day and time that works best for you. Life can be better. We can help. Make an investment in yourself. You are worth it. 
All right, everybody, I want to take a moment to give a shout out to everyone who is currently financially supporting the podcast. Thank you so much for your contribution to the work that I'm doing. We really appreciate it here at Thrive. If you like this podcast, go on over to Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, and subscribe. Let people know what you think so we can get the word out to more people. And hopefully we can just start offering hope to a larger community. If you were tripped up this week by the new logo, as some of you were, Marlena, thanks for pointing that out to me. I apologize about that. This new logo was designed and created by Alicia. She is a client and she is in recovery from BPD. So I want to shout out to Alicia for creating that logo for us. That's going to be the one we're using on merchandise that we'll be releasing in the winter. I'm going to get hoodies. What goes great with, you know, a workbook and BPD recovery, a hoodie. That's what goes great with it. So I'm going to get a hoodie and um, it'll go on the blankets and t-shirts and just merch that you can have with that phoenix logo um, and my workbook which will also be released this winter moving forward i love that logo outside of that pink logo that's there now because it reminds me of the journey a person with bpd goes on a phoenix symbolizes transformation death and rebirth which brings me to the first q a question So I have a lot of people asking me, they're in the stage where they learn they have BPD, they understand that they are not normal or neurotypical, they see that their behaviors are dysfunctional and it just makes them so sad because they think, wow, I'm not normal. Like this is hard. This is devastating. So devastating, right? Like it is to the person with BPD. Right? It's like almost like they have to now mourn the loss of the fact that they thought that they were normal and then move on to create a new being. And I really think of that. I am not the same person I was when I had BPD. Completely different person. My language is different. My behavior is different. So I believe that I went through a transformation and the old me died and I'm now reborn. And that is what I'm urging you to think about that recovery is to get a kind of pull yourself out of the grief and that interim place of being between the old you seeing who you could be and then just feeling sad and just grieving for yourself you can be there for a while allow yourself to feel that because this is a huge thing that you are going through however like our logo like a phoenix you will transform Your old BPD self will die and you will become reborn into a new and amazing person by your own choice, which is empowering. Awesome. I also want to add this saying really quickly. I was like, oh, I'm wrapping up. I forgot. So I saw this quote the other day on social media by it says Colleen Callan Dion or Colleen Dion. And the quote says, yes, you will rise from the ashes, but the burning comes first. For this part, darling, you must be brave. So that goes back to our new logo and, you know, this idea of being a phoenix. So I'll read it again. Yes, you will rise from the ashes, but the burning comes first. For this part, darling, you must be brave. So thank you for that quote and 
yeah, be brave. Let's do it. Become reborn. Okay, thanks for listening. That was from Borderline and Beautiful, a production of Thrive Mind Body LLC, online coaching that helps frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or any app that you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from the last episodes, and I'd love to hear whatever questions you have, too. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. We'll have all those links in the show description. Okay, we made it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Rose Skeeters, and I'll be back next week with another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Talk to you then.